Welcome to Lessons from the Helpful Dead, where you'll learn the world is not what it seems, and you are much more than you think you are. Here you'll learn about positive and reassuring messages from supposedly dead people whose main purpose is to help us. Find out what happens after we die, why we're here, how we got here, where we're going, and discover that you are really a powerful eternal spirit. I'm Dan McEnany. Martin Ebon's book, The Evidence of Life After Death, which was published in 1977, is significant because of his close connection with both the British and American societies for psychical research, and because of the dozens of instances, dozens of instances he cites, where well-documented, verifiable information has come through highly respected psychics, including several in the 19th century. Reading his book makes you realize how often that Western society has gone over the same ground in its attempts to demonstrate the survival of the personality after death. You learn as just one example that as far back as 1889, the British Society for Psychic Research surveyed 17,000 people and found that more than 2,200 of them had a vivid impression of being touched by a living being or object or of hearing a voice which could not be attributed to any external physical cause. You also learn in his book, again after dozens of examples, how skeptical materialistic scientists will never be convinced of genuine after-death communication because they can always devise an alternate explanation, however twisted and improbable that explanation might be. He included uh, 20th century examples, too, uh, including the mediumship of Eileen Garrett and Arthur Ford, uh, both mentioned in other episodes. But the book is noteworthy for the several other examples you might not learn about in any other sources. Now, Ebon attended hundreds of seances and spent 12 years in close association with Eileen Garrett, the globally respected British medium, he was also associated with several scientists who were examining ESP, extrasensory perception, and the survival of the personality after death. He wrote at least 20 books, several articles, and papers on these subjects, edited uh, three well-known periodicals in the field, was a tireless researcher, he lectured widely throughout the United States, and he served in a key position for 12 years at the Parapsychology Foundation. So uh, today, here are just two examples of people that you might not hear about anywhere else. The first is Lenore Piper. Now, the eminent psychologist and philosopher William James, <laughs> J-A-M-E-S, William James, announced to the British Society for Psychic Research that he had found a remarkable trance medium in Boston, Mrs. Lenore Piper. James had visited her incognito. She didn't know who he was. Yet she succeeded in bringing through several of his deceased relatives who correctly gave their names, relationships, and several details that could be known only to them. Now, the British Society sent its top skeptic and researcher, Dr. Richard Hodson, to either verify her abilities or expose her. Despite several impressive seances in which Hodson controlled all the conditions and all the people attending the seance were verified strangers to Mrs. Piper, 
Hodgson concluded that she was telepathically tapping the minds of her sitters and was not serving as a medium for communication with the dead. Interestingly, one reason for that conclusion was valid. The control, again the entity who coordinates and communicates information from the other side using the vocal cords of the medium, the control had given an identity that did not check out. And when confronted, he changed his story. Subsequently, however, a new control took over. A man named George Pelham, who had been a good friend of Hodgson's while he, Pelham, was alive. Mrs. Piper also switched from voice to automatic writing. Now, Hodgkins rec he recognized so many people that were brought in by Pelham, calling them by nicknames, and communicating so many hundreds of details that Hodgson changed his mind, and he wrote a second report stating that the entities communicating through her were just who they claimed to be, dead personalities. Years later, Mrs. Piper was one of the mediums used by Frederick Myers to deliver his famous cross-correspondences over a period of several years. You might remember that the cross-correspondences were the method that Myers used to prove that these mediums could not possibly have been reading the minds of living people. The uh, second person we'll talk about uh, in this session is uh, Mrs. Gladys Osborne Leonard. Now, Mrs. Leonard became known as the English Mrs. Piper. Uh, several British Society for Psychic Research uh, investigators and independent investigators worked with her. And one of them devised the proxy-sitting method of testing, where the researcher would try to contact a discarnate personality he did not know, a spirit he did not know, really, on behalf of a third party. After contact was made, the researcher would turn the information over to the third party for evaluation. Now, this was devised to minimize the possibility of the medium telepathically tuning in to the third party. Now, just one example of this type of sitting is particularly instructive, and that's why I included her. It's the Bobby Newlove case, published in the uh, uh, 1935 Proceedings of the British Society of Psychic Research. The Reverend C. Drayton Thomas, a British clergyman, was one of Mrs. Leonard's primary investigators, and he devised the proxy sitting methods. He received a heart-rending letter from a Mr. Herbert Hatch asking the clergyman if he could get in touch with his 10-year-old grandson, Bobby, who had died of diphtheria. Thomas doubted that a 10-year-old would be able to communicate well, but he felt uh, for the grandfather's plight and, and told him he'd try. Eleven seances were held, and Bobby had little trouble communicating. He spoke to uh, Mrs. Leonard's control, FEDA, that's F-E-D-A, uh, <clears throat> and conveyed information about a dog-shaped salt shaker, a sandwich board poster costume that he had once worn, an injury to his nose, the name of the street bordering his school, and other details which verified that it was indeed him. Again, plenty of what we call evidential. Beyond that, uh, however, most impressive 
was the unsolicited information that Bobby offered about his death. He blamed his illness on some pipes near his school. Now, this message did not make any sense, but it was discovered that Bobby liked to play around some pipes on a hillside near his school. It was learned that the pipes dripped water into stagnant pools, and apparently Bobby had become ill after drinking the water. Now, in our next session, uh, we'll talk about two more personalities you might not know about, Susie Smith and Douglas Johnson. Susie Smith did write 30 books, but it's likely that uh, most people today don't know of her. Again, I'm Dan McEnany, bringing you lessons from the helpful dead.